Hey guys, it's Leah Pika here. Today I have my very first guest, who's known as the Grumpy Cat of Analytics and a rising star in the digital conference speaking circuit. Stay tuned to find out who's crashing the Present Beyond Measure Show, Episode 3. Welcome to the Present Beyond Measure Show, where you'll learn the best tips, tools, and techniques for creating and delivering data visualizations and presentations that inspire data-driven decisions, change hearts, and enlighten minds. If you're ready to get your insights noticed, remembered, and acted upon, you're in the right place. Now your host, Leah Pika. Okay, I'm so, so excited to invite my first guest onto the show. He is a well-known analytics thought leader in the industry and is now senior partner at Analytics Demystified. He's worked with the many dimensions of marketing and customer data for over a decade and consulted with multiple top 50 internet retailer brands on everything digital analytics. He's truly a marketer-friendly data geek, which is a rare find in this industry. He also now unofficially is on the conference speaker circuit, having presented multiple times at eMetrics and Accelerate from coast to coast and all kinds of places, including later this year, Australia with yours truly. But most importantly, at heart, he is an analyst who has had to present analysis results internally at all of his organizations where he's worked. And he's told me that he has yet to do one of those presentations in a way that was perfectly delivered, but he's always continually improving on that front. You may also know him from his irreverent and very popular blog, Gilligan on Data. He's incredibly fun to work with as a team demystified consultant, I can say that, and a great mentor and friend. I give you Tim Wilson. Welcome. Well, that is quite the buildup. <laughs> and down it goes. And, and, we're, and we're out. <laughs> it's good talking to you. <laughs> nice see to you see later. you. Thank you. Thanks so much. <laughs> What's up? I'm, I'm excited to be on your uh, your second second episode. This is, uh, I can only hope that maybe your listenership hasn't taken off yet. So <laughs> if I completely embarrass myself, uh, it will be uh, limited to a smaller audience. It's pretty much just my mom. So, so we're good. Oh, <laughs> hello, Leah's mom. <laughs> so um, I want to start us off by telling everyone, mom, um, how you <laughs> fell into the whole analytics shindig. Like, what's your origin story? Oh, so my or the quick, quick or quick origin story is I started out in architecture, realized Interestingly, my design talent was sufficiently limited that I did not want to just be doing uh, building construction management, construction documents for my entire career and realized I did not have the talent to be a great designer, So, which is a little ironic, something that <laughs> we're, we're about to talk about. But, uh, and from that, I went into technical writing which I did enjoy that kind of morphed into sort of an intranet and then an internet kind of web marcom role kind of over a series of internal job hops. And along the way, I picked up the web analytics platform at the time, which was a log log file analyzer, SPSS net Genesis, uh, which was terrible. <laughs> and I just kind of inherited it. It was kind of like, well, somebody on the web team has to own this. And, you know, I was not in the room when they had a show of hands, so I, I inherited it. But I uh, kind of got to where I enjoyed that, went to realize we had to move to another kind of this whole page tag-based thing and kind of manage mm-hmm. the the transition to a new platform on that front and then went to actually offload that platform to our BI team because my web Marcom role was killing me and I did not have time to kind of own the web analytics uh, and, and as I left that meeting, I, and they said, sure, we'll take it. It makes sense. It's all data. And I said, this sucks because I'm getting rid of the one thing I enjoy the most about my job. <laughs> and they said, oh, well, let's come back into the conference room and let's talk a little bit more. And so that last little conversation had me moving into into BI, but really as kind of the web analytics expert. And then actually went broader into broader BI for a while, custom data management and the managing that BI organization, but really kind of gravitated back to the to the digital analytics world. That's interesting. That, oh, I'm sorry. That, that was, that, well, that was the short version. Oh, so, okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's it. And then we'll do one more topic and we'll be, we'll be 45 minutes in and we'll call it a day. <laughs> and a bit, uh, there it is. Um, yeah. 
So, so throughout, I mean, were you asked to present on your findings throughout that evolution? And if so, you know, was that something that came naturally to you at first? Or were you resistant to that aspect? Because I know a lot of practitioners, I think, kind of see it as a necessary evil <laughs> component of their job. I I think I've never from day one been satisfied with what I get out of a web analytics platform from uh, from the data. So I don't think I've ever, as a matter of course, matter of course, when sharing, whether it's presenting or emailing, ever wanted to use the screen capture out of I mean, you know, literally countless platforms. They've always looked to me like, wow, this is this is too much work to to look at. Uh, so. I actually pretty early on when I was managing that BI team, one of the things that, and I don't really remember the specific genesis of why, but I looked at what some of the people on the team were producing and it was so terrible (laughs) that, and and I'll admit, I was like, I wanted to make stuff look better. And at the time I was still a little clueless. Like my kind of signature thing was to drop a, a a light, a blue to white gradient in the background of my charts. Um, (laughs) So I wasn't doing 3D. I wasn't, I wasn't violating, uh, I mean, that one is, is fairly serious, but so it, yeah. I, I came up with, and we were, I was in an engineering company with, with a couple thousand people and lots of the product managers and sales team that we were servicing had direct access to the platforms. And at that point I said, Nobody knows if a chart gets presented, whether it came from our group that actually knows the data. And this was this was CRM data, this was sales data, this was web analytics data, or if it was some you know product manager that we delivered the stuff to and they presented it. So I think that was kind of the reason I said we need to sit down and have a style guide for just our data visualization. We're all using Excel, we're all dropping stuff into PowerPoint started up a little task force that I wasn't actually part of. Uh, had somebody on the team kind of ran it, and there were, I think, maybe eight or ten people on it. We pulled in somebody from our internal design group who had kind of an interest in data visualization. Mm-hmm. They're the ones who pretty quickly came across Stephen Few. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're like, hey, can we spend, you know, I don't know, 150 bucks on buying these books? Mm-hmm. Uh, I said, Sure. And what they came out with was a style guide, and I then read the book and you know totally embraced it. So I don't know that I was being I was personally being asked to you need to present on your results. I knew that my group and myself included, I was an individual contributor as well, was producing stuff and delivering it to a whole bunch of different people, uh, and recognized that that needed that stuff needed to be clear. And it was going to serve us well as a group that other people wouldn't be recreating our style, but they would know when stuff came out from our, not only was it accurate, but it would kind of give them the confidence that, oh, this is like professionally produced. This mm-hmm. isn't, you know, the default Excel Excel color scheme. <laughs> so, but, but the default scheme is so lovely. <laughs> no sarcasm whatsoever. Yeah, this, was, this was, yeah, and this was, I'm thinking this was probably back in Excel 2003. Oh, that that was just pure vomit. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so you know, it's you mentioned something where clearly you were ahead of your time because um, you mentioned a design chart style guide. And that's something I only came across in the last few years when I read this book, Data Fluency, by Chris and Zach Gemignani from Juice Analytics. And the last part of that book was a goldmine of exactly how to lay out a data and chart style guide for people communicating data internally and based on your color palette and and branding elements and stuff. And, you know, I, I probably can count like two, three companies I know of that had them, yours being one of them. Um, and, you know, what would you say about having a person start starting that saying like how do you how do you um advocate for a resource like that in an organization where people might be resistant to go oh that that sounds like a lot of work well and this was interesting because the bi and i i would love to say this was just managerial genius and i don't think it was i think (laughs) i wound up it was the the team because it was a third to a half of the entire department was involved in that group so they're 
the the scales were falling from their eyes like all at once. <laughs> and so part of what they were tasked with doing was, okay, how do we actually roll this stuff out? Because really the style guide was was one thing, but they realized, well, people aren't everybody's not gonna kind of get and remember. So they actually had a little sub team and there were two or three people that said we're gonna build in Excel and in PowerPoint. Uh they they added a few macros. They set up a mm-hmm. and they said, "Here's your book.xlt, your sheet.xlt, whatever was needed." And then they literally went around to everybody's. They said, "Here are instructions. Go through them yourself if you want to. We're still going to check that what you set up is checked." Um, and it was just <laughs> and or you know or we'll just come and do it for you. And there were only you know twenty twenty people. So within that that group, now I went and, and that it just kind of happened. And then we would still do. And again, it was just sort of the group bought into it. So we would say these are the the three or four people who like really know the style guide inside out, and they are on call to do a review of your stuff before it goes out. (laughs) And the the thinking being in purely looking at it from a style guide. So I think that on on the one hand, maybe ahead of my time, that was that was purely a a style visualization. It does it didn't go to the communication it didn't mm. go to the narrative the story which i think i've it's is softer and, and harder and yeah it's much more difficult to kind of codify so that sort of and then as they would review stuff they were reviewing with the eye to oh you know oh you forgot you had rotated text on your <laughs> x-axis or something mm-hmm. so as they would review it and say this is the feedback as you'd expect they would get they would get better at it and maybe I've never really thought about it. I spent a couple of years as a technical writer at that company that had a very, very rigorously established and good style guide for all the documentation. We were, we were producing hardware and software. Mm-hmm. And the people who were doing the editing there had this crazy eye for like, nope, your your looks like your first line of body text has six points instead of nine points above it. <laughs> oh, I mean, those, wow. were the edit, those were the edits we would get back. So. That's intense. I mean, I, I probably was bringing some of that uh, in as well, with and had a whole de- debate of saying, "Well, if my data, my standard is the bar is at one spot, and really we're going to aim for that spot and know that we're not going to hit, we're not going to hit a hundred percent, and nobody's really going to notice anything that is between ninety and a hundred percent of exactly what we specify. But we have to aim for a hundred percent to make sure we're clearing ninety percent, mm-hmm. if that makes sense." Um, that's really interesting. So I think that um, if an analyst really wants to, if, especially for bigger teams, maybe an agency with a large team where everyone's presenting data and it's the same client, you know, having different clients with different palettes might be a little challenging. But even then, you can repurpose the same best practices in a style guide and just change different elements like fonts and um, color palettes. So that would be yeah. something good to check out. That's really interesting. But yeah, I mean, and I think we're talking even about tools that are so underutilized um, by people in, in this industry and just general corporate America um, for helping to save time. So that's definitely stuff they should look into. Um, so <laughs> your intellectual rants on what practitioners are doing wrong in, the, in, a, in a very helpful way <laughs> are legendary in this industry. You have to have some pet peeves about the presentations that you see practitioners and industry speakers giving. So give us the Gilligan treatment on what we're all doing wrong. <laughs> so. <laughs> so it's funny. So thinking about, because even looking at the, pre- the presenting I do, like the public presenting I do is primarily presenting to analysts or presenting to marketers. So I'm presenting not so much data and case studies as sort of how to approach analysis and reporting. Mm-hmm. And in that format, although I'll say even at conferences, there are often there will be a practitioner who's talking through, you know, what they did and how they did it. And I think my number one pet peeve is well, it's probably a tie. It's between <laughs> a lack of lack of energy and mm-hmm. and a lack of uh care. So the the what I'm looking at is your initial draft of you just built slide by slide and put everything on that you wanted to cover, and then you stood up and you went through it, and that kind of that the kind of lack of respect for the audience, and it's the first time you've spoken it out loud. But mm-hmm. I think the other part is 
an analyst, because we all, you and I have talked about this before, we shut, our tendency is to shut down. I remember actually Jim Stern telling me that once. He was like, you know, you're, you're lively and enthusiastic, and then just by nature, when people step on stage, yeah, you know they they just back off four or five notches. And I look at somebody who's the first time they presented, or even the fifth time they presented, who's really, really you know nervous about it, and they they're clearly not consciously they're not recognizing how much of in a shell they have gone, yeah. and that just kind of kills. If, if you're not showing enthusiasm for what you're talking about, then there's no way that you're going to to hold the audience. So you you know you got to be excited about what you're uh, presenting, and and that goes for internal stuff too. I think. Oh, I I almost uh, for me I think it's worse internally because you know they haven't paid money to come see you at this big event and the energy is high and you have this these production values and it's it's like a show you know internally it's like a firing squad of people staring at you, hoping you don't get tomatoes thrown at you because you're wasting their time. Um, you know, I've, I've seen that so much people retreat into the shell. It's, it's literally like a different personality takes over where the most bubbly person just becomes this withdrawn, nervous wreck. And I think there are a number of ingredients in that, <laughs> in that recipe. And uh, like you said, lack of care, Lack of preparation, I think, is huge. Uh, everyone is really busy. And again, I think people look at presenting, especially internally, as sort of something they have to get through. It's like a chore. And they don't see it as an opportunity to take a big leap in their career and increase their exposure. And I, I think if they did see it that way, they'd be happy to set aside 10, 15 minutes and just read through the slides, practice your intro and your conclusion. <laughs> <laughs> just for five minutes. Um, you know, so the lack of preparation and confidence, I think, is huge. But the other thing that I struggle with, I think, is what they call that imposter syndrome, where you walk in thinking, I don't know more than these people. They, these people are going to cut me down. And, you know, you have to tell yourself, I know more than them about what I'm going to talk about. That's why I'm coming in. So what do you, what advice do you have for practitioners to help build their confidence as a subject matter expert, even when they might not feel that way inside? So, I mean, personally, I am kind of a fan of not presenting, and and maybe this is a a distinction, maybe it's a false distinction. I'm thinking earlier this week I was presenting, I got kind of the analyst nightmare thrown at me of, (laughs) hey, we bought this company uh, they have a website. We got you their GA login. Can you just go and do like an initial analysis of their site? Never met the people who run that. Know very, very little about even why they were bought or what kind of the purpose. I'm kind of stuck with what I can see on the site. Mm-hmm. And, you know, found found some things that I was uh, seemed a little odd to me. But I thought I'm not about to walk in and say, you know, this is broken because <laughs> I don't know enough, you know, I, mm. and so in that case, I walked in and I said, look, I don't know. I'm excited to do this. It's fun to poke around your site. I'm kind of given just sort of an overview. And then I've got a few things that seem like I found that I put a lot of care into saying, well, I'm pretty sure they didn't do this segmentation, right? It's pretty, pretty comfortable that 95% of the time if you're presenting to marketing users, they did not build a custom segment. So anytime you build a custom segment, it should be stuff that you know that they don't, that they don't know. Uh, but I said, I, I, some of this stuff may be wrong. Like if you have an explanation, I'd love to hear it. I'd love to dig in uh, farther. So I don't know if that really gets at the question. There's, there's definitely, mm-hmm. you know, something, if you're going in with a massive earth shattering finding, that makes me really nervous to the point that I am going to do everything I can up beforehand to mm-hmm. say it's an earth shattering finding. And I'm probably still going to present it saying, I, I hardly believe this myself, but I've looked at it. <laughs> I've had other people look at it and it, it's what it seems to be. And that tends to be an opportunity for a dialogue. I guess in, internally, I, it's rare that I'm 
presenting where I am just talking for 30 or 40, you know, minutes. I'm, right. And I don't think analysts generally should. I mean, I, I, I tend to say if you're presenting analysis results, you better only have, you know, 10 minutes of, 10 minutes of core content, maybe with some stuff in an appendix, but like you don't need an hour to, to <laughs> tell somebody the result of a, I had an AB test result that we had 30 minutes scheduled to go through it. And the main person was 15 minutes late and we finished five minutes early, you know, and had some follow up emails. And I'm like, I'm fine with that. That's yes. It took me a number of hours to go through it, but the length of the amount of time I put into it has should have absolutely zero relationship to how long it takes me to communicate. So that's probably another pet peeve on the internal front <laughs> uh, is the, 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 the three act play. I think we've had this uh, <laughs> discussion, or right? maybe it's Brent Dykes who actually made a pretty compelling. I like to say presenting analysis results is not a three act play. You're not trying to build to a climax 45 minutes in. Like mm-hmm. you, you want your, you want that to hit immediately so yeah. that you have the rest of the time to build credibility or to get talk about what you're going to do about it or how you're going to. And to his credit, Brent made a really strong, exact counter case. Uh, you know, from a from a, a build, and I think we're probably not actually we're not actually that far apart. We talked about it after, but that was again putting the care in. I, this is not show every rat hole you went down, every mm-hmm. table of data, everything you stumbled into, every caveat about the data. And analysts kind of feel like a lot of times seem to feel like that's how they get credibility, and maybe it goes to their confidence as well. If I show them every single thing I did, they won't attack me for. <laughs> Not being right because I will have shown them all the things I did, and they'll either be like, "Wow, I couldn't do all that," you know, or I just will have. I don't think consciously overwhelmed them with numbers. It's just you want to share. You want to share your experience with the stakeholder you're presenting to. It's like, no, they don't want to share your experience. They just want the freaking answer, you know, right. and they want to feel confident that that answer is is valid. Right, and you know, it's. It's funny you talked about the the lengthy three act play and you know room for dialogue. You know these aren't huge TED talks, but even TED talks are almost like a dialogue. They build in dramatic pauses and such, so you almost feel like they're having a dialogue with you. But obviously, the format is extremely different than your average internal meeting. So I do like to allow questions throughout. I don't want people to feel like they have to bank their questions until the end because usually they're not paying attention to you. They're going, (laughs) don't forget the question, don't forget the question. and inspires that that dialogue, which is going to help keep their attention throughout and keep them, you know, hanging on. And, and some people might feel like that would drive them off track if they allowed for that. But what I, some of my favorite moments are when someone asks me a question that I know the answer is coming later on, and I go, "Oh, stay tuned, that's coming." They get so excited that you've already anticipated their needs <laughs> and their question, and then they're really, really paying attention. So. I think little tricks like that can really help. That's like an important the because two things can happen. Somebody asks the question, and either you are going to cover it, and you can say, you know what, that's in like three minutes. Mm-hmm. And if I don't cover it, then make sure you call me on it. <laughs> right. And really, part of it is remembering when you get to that point to make that eye contact and say, hey, this is what we're talking about. That thing you asked. Make sure that I am covering that it is what you were asking. The second thing that can happen, which I think scares analysts is like well what about what about this and you're like in the flat on the moment in 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 the moment you're like i did not look at it that way oops oh my god my credibility is shot but i don't Mm. think it's so much an oops as a yeah you know i looked at a ton of stuff and i had a fine amount of time and that's a good point i'm gonna look at it that way too because it doesn't it doesn't take that many variables for you to multiply it out to where you've got an infinite number of ways to, to slice things. I mean, if you just take the simple, I'm looking at my site traffic, I'm breaking it down by traffic source, I'm breaking it down by device type. Mm-hmm. As soon as you say I want to break it down by traffic source and device type, and we haven't talked about anything specific to the landing page of the campaign, which is automatically going to introduce another dimension. So there's a level of 
you need rigor. As a good analyst, you should be taking a, a reasonable approach. You should be drilling down into specific combinations that make sense. But it's kind of ludicrous to think you'd be looking at it every possible way. And it's even worse to look at it every possible way and then walk them through how eighty nine percent of them didn't show you a damn thing. Right. And you know, I think that's a really good point. It's like that's why we're where we are and you, stakeholder, are where you are. We're all bringing something to this table or else this meeting wouldn't really be happening. And I think some of the most successful analytics readouts that I've had are ones that prompted more deeper questions for follow-up afterwards because that meant it was a lively, engaging conversation that prompted additional thought and will allow you to continue that conversation. I hate the ones where you leave and it's like, well, all right, thanks, see you in two months. Which, I mean, I think that goes to another like rant of mine. The, the when, when marketers, the, the organizations, which seems so common, I mean, it happens so often, that marketers want, they sort of toss the, here's the request, here's the campaign, here's, mm-hmm. they toss it over the wall. They don't really want to engage with the analyst on the front end. And the analyst's response is to go produce a bunch of stuff and then get up and present it or send it, like throw it back over the wall. And if that ongoing dialogue of more bite-sized stuff isn't happening, then, which isn't to say there, aren't, there don't need to be kind of these narrative ones, but I, I honestly, I mean, a, a 10 or 12 slide deck for presenting analysis results is about as far as I want to go. I may mm-hmm. have another 25 of things that I looked at and screen. Hell, oh, you want to see what the creative actually looked like? Sure, I've got that in the appendix as well, because I'm way, way happier when it's, you know, what about this one thing? Okay, you've given me a bite-sized question I can now provide a bite-sized answer and I can shoot you a single visual embedded in an email and then we can decide whether we need to to meet and discuss it further. And maybe if we're going to meet, part of the email is, well, what about this, this, and this? And now I need to put together another 10-slide presentation where I present and try to have a narrative structure. But it's a much more fluid and organic than I think analysts, you know, we kind of want to check it off our list. So like we did a big deck here it is. And then when somebody says, well, what about this other thing? We're like, no, I already checked that off my list. I don't want to go do it more. So we're kind of feeding this cycle of these bloated presentations trying to answer every possible question. Mm-hmm. And then that took us so long and we're so worn out, we don't want to dig into it anymore. Yeah. You know, the presentation structure, you mentioned the, the my favorite word, Um, is so important. I think most of the presentations I see don't follow a specific structure. And I think that can be a big mistake because it's obvious when you're sort of rambling off into different paths and it's not a cohesive story. And typically I like to chunk it in either three to five insights or arguments, no more than that, because you want your audience to focus on exactly what they could take action on that time. There's no point in attacking the entire website and campaigns and telling them everything they could possibly do to improve because then they're more likely to act on nothing um, rather than something really much more focused. Do you agree? Uh, Absolutely. And I think I actually tried it one of the clients that you and I work on together. (laughs) I tried a, a while back to sort of frame out a let's come up with what are what are the the five generic slides, mm-hmm. you know, what is the order and sequence and use that as a jumping off point. And I think there is a difference when you've got I've got three different I hate to say the word insights, but three I, I think that works fine. I'm presenting to somebody and said, Okay, I looked at this and Let's do a very a little mini story, a little mm-hmm. short story of beginning, middle, and end. But beginning, middle, and end is like two or three slides. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, okay. And then we looked at this. And then we looked at this. And then I can sometimes even set up the table of contents up front and say, look, we're going to talk about like three things. Each one of these can take me five minutes to walk you through. But what goes in the beginning versus what's in the middle versus what's in the end, I, I'm hoping you'll be producing some content that says this is the jumping off point. You know, this is the the structure. And I sort of lay that out sometimes when I'm presenting to analysts saying that's where I do the it's not a three act play. You know, mm-hmm. I want to start with I want to start with the recommendation because that's that's the answer. Like I'll start with the answer yep. and then I'll go and justify the answer. And maybe it's like a they're the the teaching 
maybe another analogy is the teaching technique where, you know, if you're learning some calculus concept where you sit there and go step by step and derive everything until you get to some formula at the end or physics or something else where you're working your way through and basically reproving it and that's how you're educating people. Well, those are students who are paying tuition to sit in a class and get that deeper knowledge. That's Mm -hmm. not what we're getting in the business environment. If somebody says, you know, the ideal gas law works, uh, PV equals NRT, (laughs) I don't need to know I, I need to trust that it works, and that's what I need to file away and use if I'm working with gas stuff for some reason. <laughs> Not a great analogy. No, we're we're going to scratch that one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I I completely completely agree about the recommendation up front. I always I kind of say bring the bottom line to the top. I do this with my email assessments. Um, you can build some anticipation, like stay tuned for the you know the big finish. But really, I don't think that works well. You want to start with what you feel they should do, and back that up. I mean, that works from my experience. Well, so you know, you had originally said that you've never you feel you've never delivered the perfect presentation. What do you feel is your weakest area that you're working on right now? Uh, I. I I feel like it's still not nailing a narrative. And, and I'll say, I think I'm, I put my, my public speaking at conferences at a, at a much, much higher level than the internal. I feel like the last okay. two or three years, and maybe this is when I was in agency land, it was, it was a monthly report. It was a facilitated good. No matter how much I tried to do things right, I was going to get beaten down by an account manager to produce a 15-slide <laughs> deck with the exact same structure that I probably would never actually present. Uh, and it, so it's been a while since I've been in the analyst inside of a company. And so I still, still sort of figuring out kind of do I have a narrative path? Do I have the the right mix of this is stuff in the appendix, this is stuff in the – I feel like it's a win when somebody says if, if two-thirds of what I've got is in the appendix just and it's there and I tell them it's there. And if somebody's gone through the appendix and says, oh, I found this other thing, actually, can we talk about that some? Mm-hmm. That's That's kind of a win for a follow-up. But just trying to get the – and maybe it's getting the right narrative constructs. I feel like there's probably – only I, there are probably two or three or four that every time something is being delivered or presented as the result of an analysis, it probably should fit into one of those. But mm-hmm. I don't really have a good sense of, oh, this falls into type A. Right. This is my my skeleton, and now I need to be rigorous about filling in that skeleton so that then I'm delivering something in a way that has a appropriate natural flow. Mm-hmm. Well, that's something I will be talking about more, actually. Narrative constructs. Outstanding. (laughs) Thank you for that totally shameless plug. Um, (laughs) Stay tuned for more. Um, No, I I think that's interesting because, again, like TED Talks are my my bag, and I just love that storytelling aspect. And it's so much easier, I think, to apply those constructs in that format, but then... (laughs) You can't really walk into a small internal conference and be like, did you know that 80% of whales are, you know, it it just doesn't lend itself to that. So I'm going to be trying to help people find a balance there. It's funny because like TED Talks are starting to get a little bit of a bad rap. And I think it's, it's probably more the topics and the content and the speakers, I think drawing that distinction of mm-hmm. you really can't argue that it is uh, compelling and engaging information. You may say, oh, but who's going to walk away and change the educational system of the United States? Mm-hmm. You know, maybe no, but what their people tend to walk away from the TED Talk is a an understood idea or belief or viewpoint, which is what, when we're presenting analysis, that's what we want. We want them to... Right. You know, take something away the next day. If you say, "What'd you take out of that presentation?" Go. They've got something that they blurt that's not remembering a specific number, but they actually have some uh, confidence in recall 
yeah. into what was being communicated. So, yeah, and I think what we had talked about in terms of a strong finish is how many internal and external presentations do we really see with a strong call to action where it's very clear that you know what that presenter wants you to do. You know what the analyst wants you to do. I find that to be a pretty weak point. It's it's like a kind of anticlimactic finish to all this great information and then, uh, okay, and then thanks and bye. You know, you- that's, that's a good, well, and I, I will say I struggle sometimes it's so there's next steps, right? The mm-hmm. weakest, the weakest form of a call to action is next steps. <laughs> and there's, uh, there's part of me, there are times when I am banking on it being a, a discussion in the meeting. So therefore my next step slide is next steps and it's blank. And it's like, okay, now we are going to talk about what the next steps are. I think we're going to do this other times, which I probably do more often is I think I know where we're going to end up. Mm. And I think I'm, and I will put those down. I'm usually, I'm always going in prepared to say, obviously, I produced this before we had this discussion. And I thought these would be our next steps. I think we still, this is, we need to do X and Y, but it sounds like not Z. And by the way, I've got these other two things that I need to do. And I'm definitely am more comfortable in the, the skewing on the action on the next, like if it, I got to be taking something that's on my plate because mm-hmm. I think that's another analyst you know, want to walk out and again, say they're done. Yeah. So they want the next step. And now you do this and you do this. And like, you've kind of ended the partnership. So, uh, those, those neck, that call to action has got to be a collaborative and how can I continue to help and support? So you heard it here. The analyst is never done. (laughs) Right? No, I, I I completely agree. You can't walk out of there thinking, whew, knocked another one down. Yeah, you know, scratch on, it on the. On from that. <laughs> no, that's that's when it sometimes can just get started. Um, and, so and, and the other one you don't want to walk out if they say, "Great, can you do that same thing next month?" Like <laughs> you, you failed on that too. Like this is this. It's not that every time you present, you're now signed up for a right. recurring presentation. Uh, yeah. Which I think is another another challenge, and I'm in consulting, but so my public speaking is talking to analysts about being better analysts, and it covers some of this stuff. Talking to marketers, it's about think about analytics differently. It's really hard internally at a company. You know, even as I'm consulting, I can do the analyst talking, but it's rare that I'm being brought in to stand up in front of an internal meeting and talk to marketers about how mm-hmm. they need to think about analytics differently. And and that's there's there's somewhere I find there's there's pure presentation with any topic. There's pure. Uh, analysis, there's pure data visualization, there's the crossover, which is kind of the world you're living in, where you're mm-hmm. specifically presenting around data-oriented stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I feel like there's also presenting around how do you convince people to do, th- and I've gotten to do that a couple of times internally at a company, just talk about how to do analytics better to to marketers. But I don't know. That's just off on another tangent. Those are easier to get a narrative and a story, though, I think. That's because you're not talking around the data. Yeah, and I mean, I think it also depends on the maturity of your audience. You have to know who you're talking to. Sometimes they're going to be ready to jump right in in a collaborative capacity because they're mature enough to understand digital in that way. And others are like, lead me. (laughs) Tell me. (laughs) Sounds good. Tell me what to do. You know, I've encountered both situations, and you just have to really get to know them. And that takes practice, practice, practice. And, and I, I will also say that on those internal ones, and it, just in the last week, I've done it twice. And it's been weird because it's been off hours, and I'm sitting, and I'm actually talking out loud, going through <laughs> kind of a brief deck. Mm-hmm. I've, I've never spoken it out loud and not found something that needs to be changed from an order Ugh. or from what's, what's, in, what's included. And so I get funny looks occasionally from, you know, my, you know, somebody who's walking by my office, like, who are you talking to? I'm like, I'm talking to the screen, but it genuinely does help. And there's no office, even if you're in an open cube and that's embarrassing, you have freaking rooms. Yeah. You can go conference into. room. And Bathroom. It's, yeah. <laughs> and if you're only, if you don't have to spend an hour because you should only have probably 15 minutes of content. So go mm-hmm. through that content and it will make you more comfortable. So. 
a hugely valuable exercise. I record myself for every presentation just for practice purposes, but also I'm ruthlessly <laughs> evil to myself in the editing process. And I even hear things I don't like the way I say. It's helped with my diction, definitely helped with confidence. So very, very valuable exercise there. So, you know, we're, we're data nerds. We love the tools, the tools, the tools. So what are some presentation or visualization tools that you absolutely can't live without? Do you have any preferences? Um, all of them, <laughs> all so, the things. Uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, we've talked, I mean, I, I live in kind of the, I'd say the, the old school world currently. So I, I can't live without Excel, Excel kind of pimped out a little bit <laughs> and PowerPoint and for various reasons over the last couple of roles I've had, I've kind of had to dive into keynote and still struggle a lot with keynote. And I'm sure that is at least 70% because I've never, never really fully, fully grokked it. But, <laughs> um, and I, I just have more, you know, comfort there. So I, the tools on the one hand, it's it, all of the tools have more power than the 80% of the people use. I mean, Agreed. I, you know, Excel 2013 for the PC, 95% of the people use stuff that's been around since Excel 2003. Yep. Um, so I think I eventually wind up, it, it may be a reason that I wind up entrenched in these tools because I'm using stuff that is unique to them and how they do it and therefore it's harder to shift to that level of fluency with with another tool but i've got things i'll say some sort of color palette matcher so on the mac the what's it called the digital color meter uh, okay you know i'm regularly bouncing around to say yep i want to have i got to make sure that my my background or my bars in my chart i want those to be a pretty darn close you know palette match because mm -hmm. that's going to just pull this together and make it uh, make it polished. I, I worked in an agency where they would produce stuff that just made me cringe because it looked like <laughs> it's like you're a you're a creative agency and you're producing these lengthy decks. Okay, lengthy is fine, but how about font consistency? How about mm -hmm. having color consistency? How about having, you know, something? And that's so that's one where I find myself that's probably a little side little tool is I want to match I want to match colors where mm -hmm. I can. Have you used Pictaculus before? No. What's that? So that's a really neat tool. You can take a screenshot of a web page or collateral. And then it gives you a palette. Exactly, from a Adobe cooler. So that's really, really fast and nifty. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm getting better at, and this is kind of one of your, you drive it home. It's one of those things I know, but until I hear you kind of <laughs> rant about it, getting better about going and using uh, imagery. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's like this opportunity to get the imagery next to the chart. So, you know, stock, I call it, I mean, stock, it can be free. It doesn't have to be purchased stock imagery, but mm -hmm. uh, just to force the minimalism, you know, put an image that is interesting and appropriate. Relevant. And back, backs things up. I mean, yeah, I mean, the <laughs> like you're the voice of customer example that, that you tend to use. And I want to say uh, I've, I've seen that before and I'm, blanking on her name but i've seen that from others like yeah voice of the customer get your get yourself a person who's mm -hmm. yelling or mad or frustrated or happy and put that next to your quote and all of a sudden you know people actually read the quote because you've given yep. them the emotion that that goes with it i think an under leveraged imagery type for internal digital meetings are screenshots don't just post a metric show the exact website the area of the website where it's happening but you know, don't just plop it on the slide in like a big nasty square, like right. offset it inside a, a actual picture of a monitor or a laptop or something and put some context around it. And crop it and put a nice highlight around the specific thing right. you actually drawn to or an arrow or, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a, uh, yeah, the one that I decided I'd never been to. I'm like, I got to make sure I'm showing exactly, you know, what it is I'm referring to. Right. Uh, and yeah, putting it, somewhere is not yeah but that's the cropping of screen screenshots that sit there and bleed on top of the logo in the bottom and it's yeah. like well our footer is so big that every stuff has to it's like well then fix <sighs> your fix your damn template don't uh 
don't just kind of crap all over it. So, and that's a whole other episode. So <laughs> maybe, maybe the sequel <laughs> templates. Oh man, that's a that's a tough one. So um, we're coming close to the end. So I'm going to ask you one last question. This is my favorite one because I think about this all the time. So imagine this scenario. You're out walking your dogs when suddenly you fall through a rip in time in the sidewalk and it transports you back to the precise moment before your past self is about to walk into your first big presentation. If you could stop yourself, what would you say to you? (laughs) Go. (laughs) I have such a clear, whether it was actually my first presentation or it just goes down as my first presentation, I, I don't think I've ever been in as dead of an audience as I was then. It was when I was a technical writer and I was young and I was presenting to a room full of engineers with overhead projector, you know, foils. And while I would go back and say, kill half of your slides <laughs> and kill 90% of the text that is remaining, you know, on those slides. And, you know, go in and, well, and that when I would have said, go in and talk about the benefits, like don't talk about we, this, our department. I mean, it was so about me and the technical writing department and this process we were going to change and how this was going to make things better, but not really benefiting the people we were talking to. It was like, it, it was kind of a mandatory training. They liked me. Like these were people who thought, yeah, Tim's kind of funny. He's cool. And then I walked in and just about put everyone to sleep, myself included. So I would definitely be, and maybe that's where some of the, the energy, like, you know, this is a supportive room there. You're, you're rarely really walking into a hostile room. Like you have bigger problems if you walk into a hostile, hostile room. Uh, so that's probably what I would tell myself. <laughs> and see, I, I think that goes to show that so many people probably feel the exact same way you did, and I know I did. And with the right amount of practice and dedication to perfecting that craft, you know, look at you now, you know. <laughs> So, um, Tim, I call the next segment the upgrade, which is a power tip for Excel, PowerPoint, Tableau, or other tools that we use to present our work better, faster, stronger. So do you have anything fun for us today? So I I wish I could give just one on (laughs) Excel. I mean, I have to go to Excel. Yep. And (laughs) it's, I, and this probably goes this works. This actually, it does work in presentations as well. It's a little trickier to get them in, but I think the use of in-cell conditional formatting to do horizontal bar charts, mm. I've written about that. It was funny. Uh, Anne Emery, Anne Emery, I just kind of butchered her name. Uh, <laughs> uh, Anne K. Emery uh, has also, she has posted about it. My, I posted first. Hers was probably more eloquent. But <laughs> I'll be the judge of that. Like That is a way to, is, is that's probably one. The other would be slicers uh, in Excel. Oh. So I'm assuming you're using pivot tables. And that's more for rapid exploration of the data than necessarily presenting or visualizing. But if you're in that case where you've got, you've got five different variables with you know five to ten values each, it's such a quick way to kind of build yourself a little mini exploratory tool. And then you can figure out the snapshot. And the nice thing is if you got your charts well well formatted, you can quickly get two or three out that are the same chart, just kind of sliced different ways, and you've got then consistency in the way that you're presenting. Yeah, slicers are awesome. I'll definitely uh, post some stuff about that, and I'll post a link to your post on conditional formatting. Which makes me, I don't know, now that I have Excel 2016 for the Mac, I don't know if they've finally brought slicers into Excel for the Mac. Oh. Uh, I don't know. Well, please get back to us on that. I'll get back back to you We'll we'll be waiting. Um, Well, Tim, this was awesome. Thank you so, so much for being on my show today. I think the listeners got a ton of value from all of this and your very trademark uh, tough love and a well-meaning tough love. (laughs) So you can keep track of Tim at his blog at tim.analyticsdemystified.com. You can stalk him on Twitter at TG Wilson is his handle. 
And you can hear him rant even more on his very own entertaining podcast, which is the Digital Analytics Power Hour with Michael Helbling and Jim Kane. So definitely hop on over to iTunes to check that out and subscribe. So Tim, as always, it's been um, it's it's been real. (laughs) (laughs) Always good to chat with you on this stuff. (laughs) Thank you so much again. I'll I'll probably be talking to you tomorrow anyway. So thank you again and take care. Uh, You too. Thanks. Wow, that was so much fun and I hope really valuable to you all. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Present Beyond Measure show. If you like what you're hearing, hop on over to iTunes to subscribe, leave a rating or a review. Those are really, really appreciated and important because they affect the rankings of the show. And I'll also be reading out my favorite ones in future episodes. To catch all of the resources mentioned in the episode, visit leahpeka.com slash 003. This is the third episode, not the second one, as Tim mentioned. Sorry about that. And you can review the show notes and find all of the resources I've mentioned. I'd love if you could leave me a comment or suggestions because I want to hear about the challenges you face, anything you'd like me to talk about here. You can also tweet me a question for the show by uh, tweeting me at Leah Pika and including the hashtag PBM as in present beyond measure. So for the last bit of presentation inspiration today comes from the very wise Dr. Seuss, and that is why fit in when you were born to stand out. It's very wise indeed. And I hope that with every step that you take with me, your time to stand out is now. Till next time, namaste. But I don't know, what, what was the question? <laughs> How many dogs do you have? Yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> Good answer.